Thank you for listening in to the Cornerstone Baptist Church podcast. Our current sermon series is from the book of 1 Corinthians. For more information, visit our website at cumberlandcornerstone.org. You know, as we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 11, Paul has started to deal with the issue of disorder within the church. And uh, that there has been some problems within the church. And he is going to continue to deal with that through chapter 14. Uh, First of all, he dealt with the, the issue of the women in the church who were not wearing their head coverings, and we looked at all of that and what that meant, even for us today. What is it was a cult? It was a cultural thing. It's, it's not the same for us today, but but it's just a matter of God's order of things. And then he begins to deal with a, a, a more severe issue, and we began looking at that last week, and that was disorder at the Lord's table. When we come to worship. What, you know, what is our attitude? What is our thought? And there in the church at at Corinth, there was disorder in the love feast. There was disorder at the Lord's table itself. And we saw the introduction of that last week. And we want to finish that up this morning, beginning in verse 27 and going through verse 34. But for just uh, in encompassing the whole idea go back to verse 17 and follow along as I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 17 now in giving these instructions I do not praise you since you come together not for the better but for the worse and if you remember the way they were acting in the Lord's table and the way they were acting at the love feast actually they were going away from church worse off than when they came and uh, that certainly ought never to be Verse 18, for first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And then the passage we want to see this morning. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home lest you come together for judgment, and the rest I will set in order when I come. You know, I can remember when I was a kid uh, going outside and playing all day. You know, and I know that you have sometimes 
memories that uh, maybe are, are more uh, fantasy than not. I don't know. But uh, as a kid, I remember leaving after breakfast and uh, maybe coming home for lunch, but then having to be home in time for supper. We'd be gone all day playing. But when we got in, and usually one of our moms would go out on the back porch and start calling for us right around supper time, and we were usually close enough that we could hear that. And when we got home, my mom would inevitably say, David, go get ready for supper. What did that mean? What well, meant go and wash your hands good, you know, and prepare yourself. It's time, you know, if, you're, if you need to get cleaned up, it's time for eating. It's time for supper. And you didn't come to the table, you know, dirty. And, and you had to prepare your, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I find fascinating. The difference between men and women is how much time it takes each of us to prepare to go out somewhere, Right. I can remember as a college, now I was a college student, so get, get this idea, and we live right kind of in the center of campus, but I can remember if I had an 8 o'clock class, there were times I could roll out of bed at 7.55, I would brush my teeth, and then I'd be in my class by 8 o'clock. Usually I got up way earlier than that, but you know, it, it, it uh, didn't take me long to prepare, if you will. You know, in the, the many endeavors of life, preparation is a very important step. You know, it's a vital step. And when we come to worship, when we come to, to especially the Lord's Supper, which we're not celebrating today, but when we come to worship, and especially when we come to the Lord's table, it is vitally important that we come prepared, that we're prepared for that experience. God is concerned not only that we come and worship him, he certainly wants that, uh, but he is also concerned with the manner in which we come. And for our worship to be genuine, for our worship to be real, for our worship to be pleasing to the Lord, we have to come with a heart that is right before God. God despises mechanical worship. God despises worship that doesn't come from the heart. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8, where he's actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 1, where he says, This people honors me with their lips. They worship me with their lips, but their heart is what? Far from me. It's mechanical. You're going through the motions. You're saying all the right things. You're singing the songs maybe, but your heart is not right. Your heart is not prepared for worship. And God says, I despise that. Remember even in Isaiah, he said to the people, would you just stop? Stop bringing your offerings. Stop bringing your gifts because it has no meaning. You know, in the New Testament church, we have no sacrifice to bring. We don't come today with a, with a sacrifice. We don't come today with an animal to, to offer to the Lord. We don't come today to, to observe some kind of ritual. Uh, and that's not what the New Testament church is all about. Our worship centers around the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And that sacrifice has already been offered. That sacrifice has already been made on our behalf. And so when we come before the Lord in worship, we come in remembrance of his death. We come to, to remember what he did for us, the sacrifice that he made for us. 
And as we saw last week, the Lord's Supper was given to us by the Lord himself to help us in that, to help us to remember his death, to center our worship on him, to focus our thoughts there. And uh, we looked at that last week. Let me just remind you uh, of what we saw, the, the, the four essentials that Paul gives to us in verses 23 through 26, just kind of as a reminder uh, of what the essential nature of the Lord's Supper was. First of all, the source of authority was the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Remember, Paul said, hey, this didn't come from me. This isn't something that I came up with as part of the ministry. This was instituted by the Lord himself. Secondly, we talk about the solemnness of the occasion. The solemnness of the Lord's Supper is seen in that phrase, on the night in which Jesus was betrayed. The very night before he was crucified, the Lord instituted this remembrance, this supper. The symbols of the Lord's Supper, the elements are the bread, which represents the body of Christ, which is given on our behalf. The cup represents the shedding of his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Certainly something that we need uh, to remember. And then the significance of the Lord's Supper is that by partaking, we are now proclaiming. We are preaching a sermon, if you will. Every time we take the Lord's table, we are preaching a sermon to the world around us that Jesus Christ is the, uh, the, the forgiveness of sins, the sacrifice for sins. And we are to do that for how long? Until he comes. Until he comes. The problem was that when the Corinthian church gathered together to, to worship and specifically to, to come to the Lord's table, they came in an unworthy manner. They came in a self-indulgent, unloving way. And Paul needed to correct their behavior. And we remember part of the Lord's table for this church was, was what was called the love feast, where they would gather together and have a potluck dinner, if you will. And the rich would bring uh, the majority of the food and they would share it with everybody in the church. But that wasn't happening in Corinth. The rich were bringing their food and they were huddled in a little corner with their friends and their clique and they were eating their, their food and not sharing it with everybody else. That's why Paul said some of you are actually going away stuffed and others of you are going away hungry. And that is not the way it was supposed to be. And then you're going and celebrating the Lord's table, which was supposed to be something that would unify the church. And Paul says, uh, what you're doing, there's nothing to praise you for. Uh, you're, you're leaving worse off than when you came. And so in the passage before us this morning, in verses 27 through 34, Paul is going to give them and us as well some instructions on how do we prepare ourselves for worship? How do we prepare ourselves for coming before the Lord in worship and specifically before the Lord's table? But I think this is something we can look at for every week, something every time we come before the Lord, we, we can look at our hearts and say, am I prepared for worship? You know, not like a college student who gets up five minutes before your class and rushes off to the service. Are, are we ready for worship today? Even as we gather here this morning, are, are you prepared? Are your hearts prepared for worship? Well, let's look at the outline here this morning. He begins with a challenge in verses 27 through 30, 29. 
And if you look at verse 27, verse 27 starts off with a very familiar word. And we talk about this word a lot, but it's an important word. He says, therefore, in light of everything that I just shared with you, in light of those four essentials, in light of the, the solemn, in light of the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ, since partaking is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ, since it's a most solemn occasion where the symbols are highly significant, since it's a proclamation of the Lord's death, consequently, let me draw a conclusion for you, Paul says deducing from the essential nature of the Lord's table, I say to you this, to come in an unworthy manner, to come to worship in an unworthy manner, is to dishonor our Lord and show very little regard for his sacrifice. Boy, you didn't know all that could be wrapped up in the word therefore, did you? You know, that, that's what he's saying. Because of everything that I just told you, therefore, to come to worship with a heart that is not ready, is to, not, is to dishonor the Lord Jesus Christ and the sacrifice he made. See, Christ died to set us free from sin. Christ died to reconcile us to God. Christ died to make us one body of believers unified in him, to shed his love abroad uh, in our hearts. And because of that, any attitude or conduct that is out of harmony with that, Paul says, is to dishonor the very sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Look at the next word, next word that I want to point out to you. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Now, that word unworthy is an important word because it speaks to us about the manner in which we partake of the Lord's table or the manner in which we partake of worship. He is not saying here that we are unworthy. All right, what he's saying is our conduct, our manner of worship is unworthy. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us are what? Unworthy. But in Christ, Christ has now made us worthy, all right? Because when God sees us as believers, he sees Christ. Christ has made, of, made us worthy. In and of ourselves, we are not worthy. But in Christ, we have been made worthy. So, so that's not what Paul's talking about here. He is talking about the manner in which they have come to, to celebrate the Lord's table, the manner of their worship. And he says, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner. It is a serious thing to come to worship and specifically to the Lord's Supper with an unprepared heart. And it's also a very serious thing to partake of the Lord's Supper in a careless manner. And that is exactly what was happening in Corinth. The Corinthians' conduct with one another, their self-indulgent attitude was totally out of character with the love feast, first of all, but more importantly, with the Lord's Supper. Something that was supposed to remember his death, something that was supposed to, to encourage unity had become a self-indulgent thing. It was all about them. And folks, may I just say this to you? Sometimes worship is all about us. Well, you know what? I didn't like those songs today. 
well, you know what? The, the preacher was a little boring today. Well, get used to it, you know? Well, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. And it all focuses around who? Me. But see, our worship is to focus all around who? God. And so maybe I didn't like the songs. But if they were pleasing to the Lord, you know, that's the most important thing. You know, maybe the preacher wasn't on his game today. Maybe he was a little boring today, but it's the word of God. And my heart needs to be ready to hear what God has to say. See, worship is not about me. Worship's about him. Worship's all about him. And for the Corinthians, it was all about them. It was all about them. And Paul says, don't come in an unworthy manner. Well, because of all that is involved in the Lord's Supper, look at the end of the verse. If you come in an unworthy manner, you will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious business. Whoever partakes in the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner is guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What does that mean? We better know what that means. I think I, I mentioned it on our Memorial Day service, but it, it is similar. The idea here is similar, to, uh, is similar in nature to the desecrating of the flag or the desecrating of some emblem, uh, uh, some other emblem of that which is to be honored. You know, we are not to allow the flag to do what? Touch the ground. We don't burn the flag. We don't do any of those things. Yet we see people in our country that do that. And it kind of, for those of us who are patriotic, kind of rankles us, doesn't it? Because that flag speaks to something. They're not really dishonoring the cloth. They are dishonoring the nation by which it stands for. They're dishonoring the, 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 the thing behind it. I can, you know, my mind always goes to sports or history or whatever. I can remember a number of years ago in the Ohio State-Michigan game. It was in Michigan, that wretched state up north. <laughs> no. it was, the game was in Michigan that day. And in Michigan, they have this big blue banner. Right, the M Club or whatever stupid idea that is, or whatever, and and the the team runs out underneath, and they all you know reach up and slap the the banner because it means something to them. And I can remember that one day the Ohio State team came in and ripped that banner down. Now, I'm here to tell you that was wrong. That that's not something you should do, because it was actually what it was dishonoring. It's kind of fun, but no, it was dishonoring. <laughs> No, it's dishonoring that which means something to somebody. You know, it, it represented something. And what Paul says here is the bread and the cup are symbols. They are representing for us. They are emblems for us of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we partake in an unworthy manner, you Corinthians, when you partake in an unworthy manner, you are dishonoring that which speaks of the Lord's death. Yeah, it's just a cracker. Yeah, for us, it's just a cracker and a, 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 a cup of juice. But it represents. It's what it represents that's important. And when we come in an unworthy manner, we are guilty of, of mocking and treating with indifference the very person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, oh, pastor, I would never do that. That's what happens when you come to worship with an unprepared heart. 
And especially when you partake of the Lord's table in a careless manner or a, a, a manner which is not pleasing to the Lord. And again, we've talked about this before, but let me just share with you some thoughts on how can we do that? How can we partake of the Lord's table? How can we even come to worship in an unworthy manner? And let me give you some of the, the ways that we can do that. First of all, and I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, but let me just remind you, some people see the Lord's table as just a ritual, if you will. Uh, something that we go through, something that is tacked on at the end of the service, something that is, is be able to be done without much thought. Oh, yeah, this day I do, okay, whatever. Our hearts are not involved. It is simply a routine. I could do it in my sleep, and some of you do, right? And I, I'm really not being funny there some of us just we just do it routinely that's taking it in an unworthy manner some people go through the the motions treating it lightly rather than seriously because they don't really understand the meaning and significance maybe our young people fall into this category but I think a lot of adults do as well we don't even quite really put thought into what we are doing Paul says that's an unworthy manner some people believe it is a way to, to get the grace of God, to get God's grace, to earn his favor, to earn his merit, to earn salvation, if you will. I, I have to rush in and take communion because that gets me saved or that keeps me saved. That's not the case at all. There is no grace there. There is no merit there. It's a sacrifice that it represents, the, the, the sacrifice of Christ. It does not save you. It does not keep you saved. But some people believe it does. And, and you know what I've discovered as a pastor? I can sit here and tell you that a hundred times. And then as soon as we partake of the Lord's table, you think that's what it's doing. No, it's not. It's not. Some people come with unconfessed sin in their life. You know, sin that they will not repent of living in, in, a, in a way that is displeasing to the Lord, and they come to worship and they come to the Lord's table having come with a heart that refuses to repent of sin. God says that's, that's not worthy. Maybe you've come with an attitude of bitterness toward another believer, an attitude of bitterness to someone else, an attitude of anger or hatred to a brother in Christ. That's coming in an unworthy manner. And Paul's challenge is for preparation. Paul's challenge to us is prepare our hearts. And look what he says in verse 28 as he continues this challenge. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Here's the challenge. Examine yourself. When you come to worship, and specifically when you come to the Lord's table, examine yourself. And that phrase, examine himself, gives the idea of putting oneself to the test. Find, to find out if we are approved of God. Every time you and I come to the Lord's Supper, every time, and really I think every time we come to worship, but every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we should give ourselves a thorough examination. Looking honestly at our hearts for anything that should not be there. 
sifting out the, whatever evil might be there, whatever bad motives might be there, whatever wrong attitudes might be there. Our motives. I need to judge my motives. I need to examine my motives. I need to examine my attitude about the, the Lord himself, about the, the word of God, about other believers. What is my attitude toward other believers? What is my attitude even toward the Lord's table? What, what am I doing here? What does it mean to me? That should all be examined before the Lord, allowing the Holy Spirit to search our hearts. And so really the communion service, the Lord's table, can become a, a time of purification for believers and for the church itself. As we really search and allow the Lord to search our heart. I think the idea expressed here, let a man examine himself, is that the result of the testing will be satisfactory. I will pass. And you will find that you will either already are in the right attitude to partake or having examined yourself, you will take whatever steps necessary to partake, to make it right for me to partake. That's part of the examination process. Notice because at the end, uh, the examination is to prepare us for partaking. Look what it says. But let a man examine himself, and then what? So let him eat of the bread. Once he has examined himself, what does Paul say? Let him eat. Let him eat of the bread. So the purpose of the examination is to prepare him for eating, not to keep him from eating. And then in verse 29, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment on himself, to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Another reason for putting ourselves to the test is the per person, listen to me carefully here this morning, the person who partakes of the Lord's table without self-examination will experience the judgment of God, will experience the discipline of God. The idea here is that if you don't examine yourself, if you don't prepare your heart for worship and for partaking of the Lord's table, then you will, will bring judgment on yourself. See, a person who partakes without coming in the right spirit, with the right attitude, brings judgment or discipline or chastisement upon himself and this is speaking here of the discipline of a believer. It's not speaking about the condemnation of hell. We're not bringing, you know, we're not going to go to hell because of it, but God is going to chasten us because of it. And that's the challenge. Well, we need to move on. What is that chastening? Look at verses 30 through 32. Paul now points to the reality of God's chastening. And the idea here really, folks, as you read these verses is you can't take lightly the things of God. I challenge you, if you read verse 30, how could you ever come to worship lightly? If you take verse 30 seriously, you can't play with God. And look what he says here in verse 30. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. 
If you bring dishonor upon the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, chastening will come. God will discipline you. And Paul explicitly states here in verse 30 that because of such sin, coming in an unworthy manner, because of that, certain people in Corinth had actually experienced physical sickness and many of them had died. Now, don't go jump into the wrong conclusion here. All right? Don't go jump into the wrong conclusion. Not all sickness and death is the result of chastening from God. I had a really good friend who believed that. And one day he got the flu. And, uh, you know, and we were at work together and he literally threw up right there at work. And he was, he, I, there's no sin in my life. See, we've taken that verse too far. But what he does say is that sometimes we are so out of line that God chastens us, in this case with sickness. In this case, some of those believers didn't follow along and God actually took them out. Death. Can you think of that in Scripture? Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Lord and God did what? Struck him dead. Don't you glad God doesn't usually do that today? No. But that can happen. That can happen. God actually put to death a number of believers in Corinth because they continually came to the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. See, the truth is, God is a loving Father. And as a loving Father here on Father's Day, God chastens his children. When we need it. And the way to avoid all that, look at verse 31. If we would judge ourselves, we would not what? We'd not be judged. The way to avoid, you want to know how to avoid being disciplined by God? It's the same way I knew I could avoid being disciplined by my parents. Do what they told me to do. But I was just sometimes too hard-headed to do that. And sometimes we are the same way with God. The way to avoid discipline but from God is found in self-judgment, found in self-discipline. If we judge ourselves rightly, we will not have to be judged by God. See, folks, God loves us too much not to discipline us. And he uses discipline to get us back into line. Parents, I know the, 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 this isn't in vogue today. Discipline is, is not something we do. But if you're a loving parent, you love your child too much to just let them do whatever they want. It's not good for them. It's not going to grow them. They need discipline. They need to be brought back in line, and God brings us back into line. You see, the world is under God's condemnation, but the believer is under the Father's chastening. But that chastening is not necessary if I discipline myself. The problem is we tend to take sin too lightly. We tend to think that we're getting away with something. And that was obviously true in Corinth because many of them were sick and some of them had died. A significant number had died. See, if we don't judge our own sins, then God will judge us. And God will chasten us until we confess and forsake 
that sin. Well, one last thought, and we got to close. And that is in verses 33 and 34. Paul concludes with some counsel for the church on how they should act when they come together for the love feast and for the Lord's table and for worship. Therefore, there's our word again, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. You know, the love feast and the, the, the Lord's table is to be a time of fellowship, a time of love. It's to be communion with the Lord and with one another. And so he says, wait for one another before you eat together. Seems like the idea was they would hurry there and get to the love feast and they'd get all the good food ready and they'd eat it as quick as they possibly could before the rest of the folks got there. They were so hungry. See, by eating together, they demonstrated the genuine expression of the love of Christ. And Paul said, if you can't wait for one another... If your hunger is so great, then do what? Eat at home. Eat before you come. Don't bring that wrong attitude here. If your purpose in coming is just eating and not fellowshipping, then you can do that at home. That's not the point of the love feast. That's not the point of the Lord's table. The Lord's supper is for fellowship more than it is for food. And it would be better to eat at home than to come together in such a manner that would bring judgment on yourself. See, when they came to the love feast, and especially when we come to the Lord's table, we come to satisfy our spiritual hunger, not our physical hunger. And, you know, certainly with our, Lord's, with our, with our celebration of the Lord's table, you're not going to celebrate your physical Hunger, you know, satisfy your physical hunger here. You're here for your spiritual enrichment. Paul then concludes by saying at the end of the verse, the rest I will set in order when I come. He says, you know what? I'm coming to visit you. And there's so much more I could say, but I'll set everything else in order when I come. But what I have shared with you is so critical, it can't wait. Because God's chastening hand is evidently already in the church. Many are sick. Some are dying. And they and we need to see that this is not a small matter. Our conduct and our attitude when we come to worship is to be in harmony with the sacrificial death of Christ, which we are proclaiming. And when it is not, God is dishonored. And we open ourselves up to the discipline of God. See, folks, our lifestyle is to be compatible with his sacrifice. And certainly our conduct at worship and our conduct in the Lord's table needs to be worthy and in harmony with him. How's your heart today? How's your motive today? How's your attitude today? How's your relationship toward other believers today? How's your relationship within your family today? Have you come today in the proper mood to worship, if we will, with a proper attitude to worship? Or have you come in an unworthy manner? Thank you for listening. For more information on our church located in Cumberland, Maryland, please go to cumberlandcornerstone.org.